Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, and uh, we'll read verses 1 through 14. And uh, if you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 974. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. This is what it says. Uh, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Uh, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Uh, You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Uh, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Uh, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Uh, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. Uh, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Now Pastor Susan will give us the word. It's good to see you. Uh, I feel a little... I haven't preached in a couple weeks, so it feels like, oh, I'm coming back to it, Um, but it's good. Today we're starting a new series, and I really hope that this this series will bless you. It's on, as as it says in the bulletin, the the name of the series is True Freedom. And this passage is a tremendously important one in the Bible, and we're kind of jumping in toward the end of a discussion. In the church of Galatia, there's a problem, and... Paul wrote a whole letter for this thing. It's not a long letter, but it's a very important one. And we're jumping in toward the end of this discussion. And so it's, I have to do a little work here today to try to wrap us around what's going on here and all the points that he's making and why it is so important, it's so relevant. Um, so, but before I start, let, let me pray for us as we get into this issue of freedom. Lord, we long for freedom. We long to know what it means. But freedom here is not really simply just talking about political control or control from the outside. We're talking about something deep inside of us, Lord God. That there is an enslavement inside of us that we do not have an answer for. And I pray that you would uh, free us. Free us by the cross and nothing more. I pray that You would enable me to preach this faithfully today in your spirit. I would babble, but your spirit would speak with power to point to Jesus. And in him we would have true freedom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me uh, uh, get your attention to the beginning. In order for us to talk about this issue of freedom, what 
is going on, we are not under a, uh, we are not under a, a political enslavement. And many of you in this room would think, nobody tells me what to do. I pretty much get to do what I wanted. Maybe some of you are a little younger. Uh, you may feel like some people are pushing around your boss or maybe your parents or some other, some other folks. But on the whole, especially you get to a certain level of financial independence and you get become an adult, you start to thinking, you're free and you get to live and run your own life. And what I'd like to do just at the beginning of this message is to first of all talk about the problem. Number one, at the beginning of this issue, the nature of the problem, the problem of enslavement. Now let's, let me, uh, let's go to the beginning here. Verse one. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What is he saying there? It's, it's funny. He's saying that if you want to be free, you have to, you have to stay in it. And that if you're going to submit again, he's, he's assuming, there's an assumption that before, before you became a Christian, and I don't not necessarily, I'm not assuming everybody here today is a Christian, but that before anyone was a Christian, that you were under slave. You were a slave. You were enslavement. Now let me go back up here. Let's go to chapter 4. If you have the Bible before, you go to chapter 4, verse 8. And here's how he puts it. Chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. And in an earlier portion of the argument that Paul is making, here's how he puts it. Formerly, when you did not know God. So this is before... You met Jesus, heard the gospel, became a Christian. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved. There's that word again. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? That's what he's saying. He's saying there's something going on that the whole world uses. This is what he calls the weak and elementary, worthless elementary principles of the world. There's a principle that people follow in the world when they don't know God. And this is the thing that enslaves them. And when he is talking now, he's writing to this church. There is a problem that's arising. And I'm going to try to explain this to you. He's saying... You, you were slaves before you knew God, but then you knew God and you were free. But now you're doing this thing which clearly tests to me that you're going back. What the heck is wrong with you? That's what he's saying. If you read all throughout the books that Paul has written, you know, many of the things that Paul wrote are letters, letters to various different churches. You can see that he, he's happy with certain churches, you know, mixed bag with certain other churches, but Perhaps of all the letters that he wrote, this is the one where he is the most incensed. He is more upset than any other place than, than, than with the church of Galatia. There is an incident in the church of Corinth where there's a guy, he's having sex with his, his stepmother. And over that, Paul, I mean, he is, he's upset. He's upset about this thing and he's calling on them to dis- discipline this guy. But... There's other places where there's lots of dysfunctional things happening in the church of Corinth. And, um, and you know, he, he gives advice about that, he gets counsel, but he's not, but even in comparison to something as outrageous as a guy sleeping with his stepmother, he's more upset about this. 
He's even more upset. At the beginning of the book, he says, if somebody preaches to you a gospel that's different than what I preach to you, that with the apostles, that we the sound apostles preach, if they preach, let them be accursed. That's what he's saying. You understand what that means? If he's saying, let that person be accursed, he's saying, let that person go to hell. That's what he's saying. It's really harsh words. Paul, isn't he supposed to be a godly guy? Well, he's not, he's not easy. And he's not always gentle. This guy is tough. Go to, go to verse uh, 11 and 12. How very important he is, this interplay between enslavement and freedom. How tremendously important it is that Paul feels that we must live in freedom and not go back. In verse 11 he says, uh, If our brothers still preach circumcision, and I'll get to that in just a moment, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you, those who are teaching this wrong thing, and I'll, let me get to this in a minute. These people who are preaching a different gospel, those who are teaching this wrong thing, I hope, I wish they would emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. You understand what he's saying there? Let, let me put it to you in very blunt terms. I wish they would cut off their own nuts. <laughs> That's what he's saying. These people who are teaching you the wrong thing, what they have their testicles cut off? That's what he's saying. That's in the Bible, guys. And God, God inspired that. Isn't that crazy? That God would see fit that something so outrageously would be put in, which is to say that God, this is God's view, that if someone would teach this thing that we're going to wrestle with today to help you move you back to enslavement, would teach a different gospel, move you back to enslavement, that God thinks that they should have their testicles cut off. That's what God would want. Right? So this is how serious we're talking about. Now, what is the issue that's going on in Galatia, which is Paul so incensed, which is talking about testicles, all right? What, what, is, what, is, what is the problem here, right? This is the problem. In the church, there's a set of people. They were Jews and they became Christians. They heard about Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood, washing us of our sins to give us this new freedom, this new life. But then they say, it's really good that you, those of you guys who became Christians, so the, and then there are all these other Gentiles, people who are not Jews, becoming Christians. And, you know, Jews have been, they, they, they get circumcised when they're very young. But these Gentiles, you know, they're all uncircumcised. They're, they're hearing about Jesus. They're having this encounter and they're becoming Christians. And there is a teaching, some of the leaders in the church, some one or some ones, are starting to say what you need is, it's great that you get this faith in Jesus, but what you also now is you need to also get circumcision. You need to do this extra, this other thing. You get the Jesus plus circumcision. And if you do that, then you will get something very, very important, which Paul calls, he says down here, which he calls justified. You will be justified. That's the claim that they're saying. And over this teaching, Paul is going nuts. I mean, he is ticked. He is straight up ticked. If you read some of the other letters, he always starts off with a certain kind of kind greeting. He, didn't even, he just dispenses with that kind greeting. He just gets straight at it. Gets right after the jugular throughout this book. And it, and it culminates in these very hard words. Now, what is the problem? Some of you guys are thinking, 
Pastor, you know, I'm not Jewish. <laughs> well, what's the big deal? I mean, why are you talking about circumcision? Why is this the issue that you are raising to talk about freedom? This whole sermon series about freedom. Here's what this is about. All throughout the whole Bible, this issue of freedom and slavery, I mean, maybe that's not the exact subject matter that is addressed in every chapter of the Bible, you know, up through the Old Testament. But this is a recurrent issue that keeps coming around and around and around. God calls the Israelites. Who are they? They're the children of Abraham, and then they go off to Egypt. And for 400 years, they're in slavery. Many of you know the story. I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to know the story. If you watch Prince of Egypt or Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you've seen the story. God calls this great leader Moses. He does this incredible thing so that God, through him, God does this incredible act so that the most powerful nation of the time, I mean, they are the world's superpower, the greatest and most powerful intellectual ideologies of the time, that's what that is, the, that these people are enslaved with. God frees them from this and then takes them out of that land to a, a better and promised land and they become, they, they get the yoke of slavery taken off of them. But while they're on the way of the promised land, you know what they do? They start thinking, why the heck are we out here? What they say to Moses is, is that it would be better if we could go back to being slaves. And this angers and deeply incenses God. And then later on in Israelite history, they're, they're living there, they're living in the land that's been given to them, and there's all these other gods that are around, and constantly the people are choosing to go and give themselves to these other gods. This incenses God. This makes him deeply angry and upset. This is an issue that keeps coming around. So here, and this issue is arising yet again here. They've heard the news about Jesus. They've heard the gospel. And you're supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> you're, you're saved by the blood of Jesus, right? And yet here, this issue, will we go back to slavery? It's coming up. What is this issue? What is this issue? Look. What everybody wants, everybody longs for, See, freedom is not just a question of political or control. It's not really what it's, it's not even that. What everybody longs for, this is not something you wake up and you say this thing in your mind, like, I want this. But what you really long for is what the Bible, the word the Bible uses is called justification. The Bible calls it, you want to be justified. And the word justified is a court term. It's a term, it's a, it's a metaphor, it's a word that functions really within a court setting. And when you go into the court, you guys know what this is like. You know, you watch TV, you watch these judge shows or anything. What is the issue at stake? There's someone on trial. And there's a word, a verdict, that is going to be placed upon this person. And upon that person, that person would either become freed, and you're free to go and you're good, or you, go to, you get locked up. You're bad. You fall short. And we'll lock you up, put you away. That's the thing. And what everybody wants, and you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not in court. Actually, you are in court. And you know it. Every single day of your life, you feel, you feel this, you long for this, you're chasing a certain verdict to come upon you that in this one, you want something, that you want a verdict to become upon you. And what this, what you're longing for is this. 
You're good. You're good enough. You're worthy. You're a good human being. You want someone, something, a voice. And it's interesting. We live in a society now, we don't believe that there's an authority of somebody big enough that, that can, I mean, that's what we say anyway. Nobody can tell me that, like, you know, I'm a good enough person. You're longing for this verdict. And so sometimes what we, what we say is, you can give yourself this verdict. And so people are depressed or they're feeling bad about their lives. They say if you have low self-esteem or low, if you're feeling low, what you need is you need to affirm yourself. You need to speak good words to yourself and love yourself. And you need to have better self-esteem. You know what that is? Within that little, that, that says, set of advice, they're trying to answer the issue of justification, which is exactly what Paul is raising here. They are saying there's a verdict. And it's strange because the people you have yourself is telling yourself, you're bad, you're not good enough, you're ugly, or you're poor, or nobody cares about you, or you're not, you're not a good enough person, something. And then the answer that's offered to, our, to people in our culture, the self-esteem answer is, what you need to do is affirm yourself. You should have better self-esteem, which is to say a, a verdict. What you need is a positive verdict to come upon your life. What they're saying is justification. That's what they're looking for. Just that in our society, we don't talk about it like that. We don't use that word, justification. But do you understand? You understand? You know what I'm, feel- you know what I'm talking about here? Because if you don't understand what I'm talking about here, this feeling, this longing for a verdict to come upon you, this whole, you won't understand this issue of slavery and freedom. But that's what Paul is talking about. And here he's saying, you, those of you in the Galatian church, you think the way you're going to get this justifying verdict upon you is, get some Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus something, this mark, all these good Jewish laws that we've had in the past, this is the way we knew we were going to get righteous, which is the way we're going to be worthy, the way we're going to be good good people. And then if you get this mark, Jesus plus the circumcision, then you're good. Everybody will think you're good and you'll know you're good. And to this message, Paul is no. (laughs) He is Mm, he is, uh, he is, he's going nuts. No! There is no Jesus plus! It's only Jesus. This is why he says this. If I'm preaching circumcision, then why the heck are people throwing rocks at me? And quite literally, that's what's happened to, to Paul. Paul would go preach the gospel to Gentile Romans, and they would go, idiot, who the heck is this guy? And they would look down upon him and sometimes put him in prison. But you know who really hated him and who was persecuted? It was the Jews. He would say this message and the Jews would want to literally stone him. And he has been stoned. They would want to imprison him. They would want to kill him. And so he says in verse 11, if I'm preaching circumcision, why are people trying to kill me? Huh? He's like, because I'm not preaching circumcision. I'm not preaching Jesus plus circumcision. I'm only preaching Jesus. Otherwise, the offense of the cross would be removed. Here's what he's saying. At the center of your life, the only way you get the verdict that you're longing for, this is the only way, is there's a cross and the Son of God is on that cross and He sheds His blood and washes you of everything that will give you the bad verdict. 
And then he can give you the justifying verdict. That's it. That is the real offense of the cross. That plus nothing. That's what he's saying. And if you add something else, Jesus plus something, that thing is the thing that you really think is going to justify you. And that, now let that be a curse. That's what he's teaching. Now, that's the whole first part of my message here. This is what's going on in the text to explain this issue of enslavement, circumcision, the church of Galatia. Let me go to part two. Here's the question I'd like to raise for you today. Okay, pastor, not interest, I'm, you, this is all very interesting what you're saying, theological, biblical, justification, verdict, all this other kind of stuff. But I'm still not sure how this quite relates to me. You have a verdict that you're longing for. What is the way that you will become justified in your mind? How will you have a pronouncement, a verdict that says to you, Oh, you're good. You're good. You're okay. You're safe. You're worthy. How do you get that? All of us, and I'm saying all of us, we fall into this trap. Even if you've been a Christian, you have this tendency to fall into this trap. If you're not a Christian, it's something. You have something like circumcision. It's not circumcision. It's something else. Something can give you that verdict, and in order to receive that verdict, you have to do something. There's some things that you have to perform. That's the circumcision. There's something in your life. If you perform this, you'll get the good verdict. If you're not a Christian, that's what you're doing. And that, whatever that is, that's what enslaves you. That owns you. If it can tell you you're a bum, if it can tell you you're a loser, if it can tell you you're just not enough, that, and then, and then it says, then you're like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Whatever that thing you're supposed to do, that's the circumcision. That's the circumcision. And whatever is that for you, that's what enslaves you. That's the question I'm asking you. What is that for you? It's a funny thing that we live in today. It tends to get played out in a couple of ways, in two kind of broad ways. One is there's the religious path. And two, I call it the secular path. The religious path is this. They kind of already know that they fall short. They're sinners or there's something wrong. You go to do the religion. Some people choose the Buddhist way. Some people go and do the chants at the temple. Some people will go the Catholic route. Some people will go the Allah route. They'll go down the Islamic route. And it gets very interesting. Some people choose the Christian religious route. And so they go to church. It's, just, it's an odd and interesting deal. <laughs> it says, you go to church, you hear Jesus, oh, he did this all for you. It's him and him alone. You believe in this, wow, I've been freed, I've been forgiven. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. And you have this powerful thing. But then as you want to go and become and more and progress in Christianity, as a real Christian, you start thinking, they teach you to do Bible study. They go to church, tithe, don't lie, cheat, and grow. You know, love your brothers and sisters, etc. But then as you begin to do this, you start to, this insidious voice starts to get in your head. Jesus plus quiet time. 
Jesus plus church. Jesus plus dawn prayer. Jesus plus retreats. Jesus plus. And you know, you, and a number of you, if you grew up in the church, you kind of know what this is like. You go and do this. You do this. You do one. You do, and you start filling yourself up with all of these things. You, after a while, you, at first year, there's excitement. There's change. There's growth. But after a while, you get tired. <laughs> you're like, well, well, another one. And you're like, I don't feel like it. And oh, here we go. And, and you get tired. And although there's some people who don't seem to get tired, they seem to really like doing it. And those are the really, <laughs> those are the people everybody hates, basically. They're, they're good at it. They go, I, I did my quiet times today, so I got the verdict. And then they like to pronounce the bad verdict on you because you, you, you're, not, you're not good enough. Right? And so everybody kind of like is afraid of them or dislikes them. And, and uh, oddly, most of you probably think that's what I'm like because I'm the pastor. It's my job is to prod you to try harder in your, in your religion, but that's not my job. And that's not what I do. Right? Um, but, we, but many people think that's the pastor's job, and it's weird, so that's why nobody, so there's a lot of people that kind of like, kind of like the pastor and hate the pastor. <laughs> but, and then, every, but everybody hates the Pharisee, right? That pushes on this thing, but really what they're doing is they're pushing religion. You get tired of it. There's the people that like it, they're, ugh. And then there's the people we all somewhat dislike it. And then, and then what we do is that's the one path. That's the religious path. But this is a yoke of enslavement because in it you're seeking verdict, justification. What's the other path? We call this the more secular path, which is you go into the church, you try the religion thing. I tried it for a while. And some people even say that was my religion phase. That was my Jesus phase or something. They even say that. Or I used to go to church and I was interested in that stuff, but now, or you're still in the church, you're a Christian, and what you do is, what you do is you do enough, but then there's a whole realm of your life you're saying, I, I pretty much just get to do what I want. And then when you get to do what you want, you feel like you're free, right? But this is not freedom. This isn't what the Bible would call freedom, what Paul would call freedom. He would say, this is license. This is license. You're just giving yourself license to live however you want. You fill your life with your own pleasures and the things that you find meaningful. But within this, there'll always still be something. Something or maybe someone that can give you the verdict, the meaning of your life. Because we all need this verdict. We all need to build our life on something. And if you will get your verdict and your identity and the meaning of your life from something that's anything but God, you are enslaved. This is the problem. You can go down the religious route or you can go down the secular route. You can go through license or you can go through kind of like, oh, be good. Fulfill all the standards. Either way, enslavement. As long as the verdict isn't from the Lord Jesus by His cross. And here's the funny thing. What the Christian tend to do is, it's not just the Christian. The secular atheist does this too. They do both. What people do is, you know what we are? You flip-flop. You're both a legalist seeking to fulfill the standards to earn your justification and you're like, oh, let me get this off me. And then I just get to do what I want. You do both. We go back. We flip-flop back and forth. And then that's why we pick something. 
which is external and doable and manageable, like circumcision. See, circumcision, it's clear. You just do it, you do it. I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to have some deep heart change. You just go and do this thing, and then you're good to go, right? You go to church, you don't have to have a deep heart change. You go to church, sit there. Put, I put in my hour, hour and a half, and then I left, and then you do it. And then you feel, okay, I guess I'm okay now, right? And Paul will say to that, accursed. No. No. What is Jesus? What's the plus for you? Jesus plus what? And what is it? What's the plus that you have to do? If you follow that thing around, you'll get to your God. You'll get to your enslaver. And so it could be, I've got to have a big house in a certain, in a certain neighborhood. The house is the circumcision. The success of a certain level of socioeconomics, that's enslaving you. Oh, I've got to have really great kids. But that's a good thing. Of course it's a good thing. It can still enslave you if it's not God. And so, your kids have to turn out really well. So they have to go to the right preschool. And then they have to have a certain level of grades. And then they have to have the right friends. And then they have to get the, the right SAT score and the right college and all this other kind of, And if they don't, then you get the wrong verdict. You don't have to go to church for any of this stuff now. So the, the perfect preschool, that's circumcision. The right friends in the right type of school in the right kind of college, that's your circumcision. And that's slavery. What's the circumcision slavery thing for you? Now, this is a big message, I understand. And I went through a lot. I'm talking a lot about justification. <laughs> I'm talking about testicles. I'm talking about, uh, I'm talking about enslavement, freedom, verdicts. Hard and big things. Um, and, but this is a kind of big macro message. It's a kind of intro message. We're going to be talking about this for a number of weeks. What I have seen over the last number of years that I've been in um, ministry, but especially the last three years I've come back to full-time ministry, is more and more what I see is people, they get the doctrine about Jesus, but in their heart, I mean, the doctrine is right. You ask them, like, what do you believe in? Like, they can give you the right answer. They can give you, like, a 100% sound biblical answer. You know, they have the right doctrine. But then on Monday, what happens? They operate according to Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus something else. I see this again. And it shows up in so many different ways. It shows up in the way we handle our money. It shows up in the way we think about achievement. It shows up in relationships. It shows up in all these kinds of various different ways. Enslavement, I realize. And people, we're this mix of slave and kind of free. And until there's more and more of a quality, this real deeper inner freedom starts to come out, how will people know something is going on? You see, I have, I have a sympathy with the people who are skeptical about churches these days. People go to church and they're like, well, I'm glad that that works for you, which is a nice condescending way of saying it doesn't work for me. It's whatever. It's not true. Right? That's a nice condescending way of that that's what they're saying. But I can see why they would say that. Because so many people go into the church, they just exchange secular enslavement with religious enslavement. And then when they look at it, they're like, well, 
doesn't seem a whole lot different. They don't see a real different kind of life. What Paul says, faith in love. It pours itself out into people. Genuine love, authentic. Authenticity, that's the word we use today. Authentic love and authentic freedom and authentic motivations to truly be a better person. It's what people are looking for. Even if they don't know what to say it, that's what they're looking for, right? Isn't that what you're looking for? Isn't that what you long for? It's what I long for. And what I'm hoping and praying over the next eight weeks that there'll be some realm of your life. There'll be a realm of your life that we touch upon and you go, oh my goodness. In the last week, Pastor talked about you know, achievement. I don't think that's my thing, right? But I know people who are into that. Wow, that's, I know people who have the achievement, circumcision, idolatry, enslavement. And then maybe next week we'll talk about something else and you go, oh my goodness, for me it's, it's the relationship thing. This is it. it this owns me. If I don't get a certain level of husband or a certain kind of girlfriend who's at least pretty enough, then I will feel lost. The wrong verdict will be upon me. Feel this thing, right? And I hope that as we go through this, that somewhere along the line you'll you'll feel this measure that the offense of the cross will no longer be an offense. It will be a glorious thing. Because that, that, not Jesus plus, but just Jesus. Jesus, his cross alone can free you. Let me close um, this message this way. Let me tell you something personal. Because, look, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I don't have this problem. (laughs) I seriously have this problem. Because I know this and I've wrestled this and I, with this and I have meditated on this and preached this so many times, man, do I understand. I understand this thing and I can feel the enslavement battle, the fight. And it is on. Right? Some of you, the fight's not on because you're just a slave and you don't even know you're a slave. But I, I want to hope that for you, the fight could be on to be freed by the cross of Jesus. A number of years ago, I uh, listened to my favorite preacher, as usual, Tim Keller, right? And, um, you know, I like Timothy Keller for lots of reasons, right? Why, why he's my favorite preacher. Sometimes he says something to me, and I just go, dude, that's just so smart. And I just admire him for that. But um, every now and then he says something to me, and it just breaks me. It teaches me something so central to the scriptures. And he said something like this, at a moment like that. He's, he was sharing... You know, he was reading the Bible, you know, and it wasn't so much to prepare for a sermon, it was more of his quiet time. And it came across a passage that said, you know, justified by Jesus, you are freed. And he said, a voice came into his mind, and he knew that it was from God. He goes, because he goes, I don't think like this, because this is not the way I think. He goes, the voice said something like this, those who are justified by Christ live. He goes, and then he goes, and he who justifies himself with preaching will die. He who justifies with preaching will die. He's like, he's a pastor. He's one of the most famous pastors in America now, one of the most respected. We're talking pastors download his sermons to learn how to preach, to be blessed by him, and I'm one of them, all right? And this guy is standing in front, he's in a conference in front of a whole bunch of pastors telling them, he who is justified by preaching will die. 
And when I heard him say that, I mean, I'm listening to the MP3, it's on my iPod. When I heard him say that, I felt like a knife would cut through me. Because this is who I am. I believe in Jesus. But on Monday, you know what I believe that I'm longing for? My verdict, or actually maybe Monday, Sunday, right now, probably right now. I'm even like wrestling with it right now. Right this very moment I'm wrestling with it, just as I share it with you, which is this. I will be a good pastor. And what is my circumcision so that everybody will know that I'll be a good pastor? My church will have success. There'll be bigger numbers. Actually, the good numbers are good today, so I, I'll, I'm going to probably feel good this afternoon. All right? All right? That's what it is. People will, will get better and they'll like church. And then that means everybody will think I'm a good pastor. And this is my Jesus plus. Jesus, the cross, plus good results at church. Because I'm a good pastor. That is like a CD stinking in my mind that I can't stink and turn off. It's such a powerful idolatry. And I need, I need a verdict so badly that it shapes how I think about my identity and my person out of my job. It's like the way it is for a lot of guys. It's just that it's interesting. Most people don't think that pastors do this. They're like, I gotta be a good engineer so then I can climb the ladder. I gotta be a good, you know, executive. I gotta be a good manager so then I can climb the ladder. And then if they, if they say I'm no good, then they'll go, you're no good. And the wrong verdict will come upon me. And then I'll know I'm a loser. Huh? But pastors do this too, except just that we just do it with Jesus. About two weeks ago, I had a very interesting conversation with my daughter. This is my youngest, Elizabeth. And a number of you know her. She's really cute. She's six years old. And it's a short conversation, but very memorable. And I can't exactly remember, you know, I, you know I'm such a great father. I, you know, half, half the time I'm tuned out. <laughs> it's typical. Like, you know, I'm doing my work because I, I'm, I'm grinding after my enslavement. And then, and then my daughter starts talking to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be a dad. I should listen. <laughs> and... She said something like this, and this perked up my ears. She said, Appa, that's like dad in Korean, are you going to heaven? You think you're going to go to heaven? And I went, yeah, I'm going to heaven. <laughs> and I'm like, of course, I'm all attention now. I'm like, Elizabeth, I'm going to heaven. Of course I'm going to heaven. And she got happy. She got this big smile on her face because she was happy to see that her father had confidence. And she, of course, she wants her daddy to go to heaven. And that she's happy to see that her father has confidence going to heaven, and he can say so. And then, and then she said, I go, I'm going to heaven? And she goes, because you're a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're a pastor. And she said this, and, I, and, and then I went, <laughs> no! <laughs> I went, and then she got startled, because I went, no! No. Nobody ever goes to heaven because they're a pastor. And then I said something that I think would shock her. I said, there's a lot of pastors in hell. <laughs> Nobody ever goes to heaven because they're a pastor. I go, the only way anybody could possibly have God say, you're, you're good, is because Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us. That's it. And if you believe that, you go to heaven, Elizabeth, okay? That's why I'm going to go to heaven, because I believe that. And that's that. Not because I'm a pastor. It has nothing to do with it. And she went, just kind of taking it back because I, I, I came out so passionately. And she went, okay. 
And then she skipped off. <laughs> then she smiled again. She skipped off. And I'm thinking, all right, I hope she gets it. <laughs> um, I don't yet quite know if she gets it. Um, brothers and sisters, you are chasing, powerfully chasing. You are panicked chasing a justifying verdict. You're good. You're worthy. At least you're good enough. It's not Jesus plus religion, church, or even anything else. It's only Christ. And this is the only road to freedom. You know, over the course of these next several weeks, I hope, you can have a moment, something like what I experienced listening to Tim Keller, right? And you'll go, oh my goodness, that's me. I'm enslaved. And Jesus will free you. And you'll know. It's not Jesus plus something, whatever your private circumcision thing that you're trying to perform. It's just the offense of the cross. Jesus himself, Jesus alone. Jesus alone. Let's pray. What a sad people we are. We're enslaved. You free us and then we go back to enslavement. Or there are many people, maybe there are people here today who have not met, even met you for the first time, Lord Jesus, who are slaves, chasing a verdict. That verdict will hang over them and there's performance. They're going to have to run their whole life that they think circumcision is, man, they got their own private things they're going to have to do. And we do. And this powerful freedom which can only be inside of us, Lord. Teach us to look and set our eyes upon Jesus on the cross and Him alone, Lord. Him alone. Nothing else. There's no sufficiency in anything. Only in Jesus. Absolute sufficiency. No Jesus plus. And in all these different realms of our life as parents, as career people, in our relationships, in our understanding of church, in the way we handle money, Lord God, will you lift enslavement off of us, Lord, so we can live in the powerful freedom of Jesus and his grace. In his name we pray. Amen.